Welcome to Take Your Stand, the podcast of Here I Stand Ministries. I'm your host, Luke Seibert. Let's explore more of what it means to live out the gospel by clinging to the Word and to one another. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited to jump in this week talking about several exciting things about the ESV, the English Standard Version, and, and some things related to that. So let's go ahead and get started talking about this translation. Uh, what's distinctive about it? Why do we want to use it? And how did it come about? It had been in the works for a little while, and it was first published in 2001 by Crossway. It's been revised a few times over the years, I think about five times. The most recent update, I believe, was in 2016. Uh, in many ways, it's an update or a revision, you could say, of the Revised Standard Version which is, in a way, a revision of the King James. So it, it, it's in this line of the King James succession, you could say, but it uses all the manuscripts that we've discovered since then. And we'll get into talking about the text here shortly. But one of the websites I have linked to in the show notes talks about how it does stand in the King James tradition. There are several links this week, so I'll be referencing that quite a, quite a bit. But um, this, because it does stand in the King James tradition and some of these other uh, translations that have followed since then, it is a formal equivalent translation that it does seek to, as much as possible, bring the uh, words of the original languages, the Greek and Hebrew and the Aramaic, into the language of how we speak today. And it does so in an excellent way. Uh, it is easily be able to be is easy to understand but without compromising uh, the language or just saying, well, let's just focus on the thoughts. It, it has that commitment to the individual words of Scripture presented in a way that we can understand. In fact, this is one uh, quote from the ESV preface. It says, the ESV is, quote, an essentially literal translation that seeks as far as possible to capture the, <clears throat> the precise wording of the original text and the uh, and the personal style of each Bible writer, uh, and that of each Bible writer, that there are some personalities that's different between how John wrote or how Peter wrote, and trying to be distinctive about that without trying to iron out maybe all those differences of style, trying to uh, as much as we can make it as if we were reading what they had what they had written uh, in a similar setting. So that, that's one of the things I do respect about the ESV, and it's been a translation that I've used for, uh, for a while. Um, it's primary for a long time until I started using the NASB, and, but even now, it's one of my main uh, secondary translations that I study from, and it's a translation that I use when I preach. It's a, an excellent translation, as I said, and it has that commitment to the individual words of Scripture, and they're trying to make it clear for how it's uh, for for readers today. Moving on to talking about the translators who were involved with bringing this about, or were there any uh, theological bents or biases that may make us hesitant about it? I have not come across it. In fact, it comes from a, a solid theological foundation, and the, the scholars who are involved with it are second to none. I mean, this is really exciting for me, recognizing uh, so many of these names of the people who are involved. And um, some of the other, translation, the other translations that I've talked about uh, on this podcast so far don't come close 
to, to represent this. And we, we don't put our faith in men, but it does help give warrant to recognize if these men are men that we respect for their commitment to scripture, their theological foundation, if they were involved in producing this translation, that's going to give more weight for a while for uh, understanding that that same theological commitment is going to play out in this translation. So here's uh, just some of these names to kind of give you an idea of what I'm talking about. The Oversight Committee. Uh, some of the names that were on there, we have Wayne Grudem, R. Kent Hughes, Robert Mounts, his son uh, William Mounts, who was actually the NT chair, and J.I. Packer. Just a powerhouse of names for men and their theological commitment and their understanding of the Greek, uh, of Koine, that common language Greek of New Testament. Uh, these men were involved. They, they were the oversight committee. There were some other names on there as well, but those were the ones I recognized. There was also an advisory council, and some of these members were Alistair Begg, Erwin uh, Lutzer, uh, Al Moeller, uh, Ray Ortland, uh, Paige Patterson, uh, John uh, Piper, Thomas Schreiner, R.C. Sproul, and Willem Van Gemeren. Again, just so many names that we recognize, uh, sound, conservative, uh, theologically strong uh, men, and their commitment to Scripture. Uh, Craig Blomberg was one of the translation review scholars. And all these different committees that were involved with it, we have men that, we, that have a commitment to Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, uh, theological conservatism, and just have a, a solid foundation. And again, I don't want to make too much of that where we put faith in, in these men or saying, well, because they accept it, then it's got to be okay. But it, it should make us consider if these are the men who are not just endorsing this translation, but were involved with actually producing it, their, their uh, theological commitments are going to play out in the choice of, of words, uh, the structure of, of not introducing heresy or theological liberalism. They're, this trans It is a solid translation and a... Um, just want to want to stress that, and that this isn't just made up by some random people. That these are names that we recognize, uh, who are recognized in in uh, Christendom, evangelicalism, for the commitment to to Scripture and to a solid theological foundation. So that's the scholars who are involved with it. Uh, let's wanted to talk a little bit about the text that was used. I said it was in the line of the King James. But it doesn't just use the manuscripts that the King James used. It doesn't just use the Textus Receptus. It, it uses the Masoretic text for the Old Testament. It does also consult the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Septuagint, the Septuagint being the, that, uh, that early Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. It does tr uh, look at those when some difficult passages or consult those at times. But its main base for the Old Testament is the Masoretic text, and for the Greek, for the New Testament, it uses the fourth edition of the UBS, the United Bible Society's translate uh, text, not translation but text, excuse me, and the 27th edition of the Nussalalond uh, text. So a little more updated than some of the other translations that we've looked at, but trying to make use of these best uh, manuscripts that we have, bringing those together. To bring us as close as we can uh, a translation that as, as, as close as we can get to the original autographs, those original documents as penned by the apostles and the prophets. <clears throat> so that 
it uses a, a good text, uh, makes us and make use of the, of the best manuscripts uh, that we have. Um, and uh, let's see here. And the, throughout the preface, the, the, the ESV preface makes repeated reference that they're not trying to do away necessarily with the King James or to just throw it out, but to, to carry the King James into a new century. Uh, that's a quote there from the, the ESV preface that they recognize the, 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 the benefit that the King James had at his time, that, that the Lord used it. That there has, um, but there's been other manuscripts that have been discovered since then, older, more reliable, and we want to make use of those and trying to honor the past, but have a commitment to making use of the, of the best manuscripts. So uh, a beautiful blend here in the ESV. One uh, thing I, I made a note of that some some people make a uh, an issue of is how some translations render the the Hebrew word Yahweh. Well, the, the ESV honors that with how it translated as Lord, but it translated as, as Lord with a capital L, the, the main capital, but it has smaller caps for the rest of the word, the O-R-D. So it's that can be an issue for some people, but this is showing that it does honor that word. So my, well, some people may not have an issue with that, but if you do, that is uh, <clears throat> so that it, it does honor the name Yahweh. So yeah, it's about the the scholars who were involved, the manuscripts, and uh, if I had to recommend just one single translation, uh, it would be the ESV, uh, hands down. It's good for for preaching, for personal study. Um, it's not overly complicated or scholarly or technical. It, it's it comes from a solid theological foundation. Uh, I know I've said that a few times here on the podcast. Just. Uh, it is a good translation to use it. The, the English is, is clear to understand, but it still has a commitment to the individual words of Scripture, which I think is so foundational to us having strong translations today. Uh, one thing, I have linked to an article in the show notes by Mark Ward, um, how he compares the ESV and the NASB. And uh, he says, you know, he compared them. He says they're, in many ways, they're very comparable. But he prefers the ESV, and he has some reasonings in there, which if you're debating about which one to use or you're trying to look for some more reasons of why the ESV is a good translation, uh, I'd encourage you to check that out. One thing he points out is that the ESV is is widely used today, that it is a translation that is it's a formal equivalent, but it is widely recognized. And it's true, one thing he points out there, that the NASB has not received widespread um, use. It's why they recognize as a, as a solid foundation, um, as, as a solid translation, and a, its commitment to the individual words of Scripture and the tenses. It's that, but it, it often receives the charge of being a little too technical for common use, and so it, it it's not as widely used as it as it. I mean, some people hope it it would be. The ESV does have widespread acceptance, and it, the Mark Ward has some explanations of why that is good. Not that it. And it's widely accepted, not because it is uh, compromising or theologically liberal or it just translates the thoughts. It, it, is a, it is a formally equivalent translation, but would allow us to be able to use a more um, common translation without having you know, so many people using different, multiple different translations and uh, there being conflict, 
uh, conflicts within a church about it. And so um, he explains a lot better than I did. Uh, you can read his article, though, why he chose the, the ESV over the NASB. But uh, yeah, that's so that's the English Standard Version uh, uh, translation uh, of the Bible. And it comes out in several different editions. There's actually a journaling editions that are out there. You can get individual books of the Bible with a lot of space on there to, to make notes and journal. There's also individual uh, complete uh, editions uh, of the entire Bible that are journaling editions that have very wide margins. One I was looking at, I think it even has two-inch margins that are there for you to be able to, to make notes and to encourage uh, us to be able to engage with the text. Not just to, to, to read it and to move on, but to, to study it, to engage, to reflect, to, to make notes. So there, that uh, there are some additions out there that we can use, and um, it's it's exciting when you think about this translation, about how it tries to honor the past, has the commitment to the individual words of scripture, and has such a, a great um, theologically uh, group, of, theological group of scholars uh, who are involved with it, and so those are the three um, main points that I would say that make this distinctive. It's uh, or why we should use the ESV. It's not maybe not as scholarly or as technical as the NASB, so it allows it to be used by by a wider audience. But that's about the translation itself. Going to shift gears here a little bit. We're going to come back to the ESV, but talking about music and you may not see the connection right now, but it's going to come back uh, here in just a moment. That uh, I've been listening to to a lot of music uh, this year, and it's been several great albums that have been released. Uh, Keith and Christian Getty's most recent one, Christ Your Hope in Life and Death album. Great, great album. Several new songs on there. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that because there's some uh, some great songs on that album. Uh, City of Lights, new album. There, uh, there is one gospel. The Together for the uh, the uh, Together for the Gospels most recent one. Actually, their last one. Uh, Together for the Gospel Live Volume Five by Matt Merker. Uh, just a great album. Uh, just has a piano with thousands of voices just singing hymns, older hymns, newer hymns. Just just a great album. But So I've thrown a lot of this stuff into a, a playlist on uh, a music app. And I was scrolling through there the, the morning of uh, I was recording this podcast. And at the bottom, it gave me some suggestions of new songs. And one was this, was this group, uh, The Corner Room. I'm like, who is The Corner Room? So I began to listen to some of their music, and what is unique about the the corner room is they have they take the words of the Bible and set it to music. They don't they don't change it. They just set it to music, and they use the ESV. They just came uh, their their most recent album is the one of their Psalms uh, albums. They have three out. It's a uh, they're called Psalms songs. So. Uh, Psalm is in the Bible, uh, songs, S-O-N-G-S, that it, uh, sounds similar, but that's how, how they, uh, that's the name of their albums. And they say this on their website. It says, this is a Corner Room's third uh, <clears throat> volume of Psalms uh, set to music, verbatim from the ESV Bible. These songs are intended to help uh, God's people know and treasure his word more deeply. And uh, I've listened to their first two albums of the Psalms uh, completely and listened to several songs off their most recent third one. And what I, re I respect so much about the, the corner the corner room 
is their commitment to us. It says there verbatim of setting the words of scripture to, to music that there are several groups out there like the Gettys and others. Uh, Shane and Shane has done some as well where they take Psalms and they set them to music. But to, when they do so, they change the wording Psalm uh, more just bringing the thought, trying to bring the words. Yes, but more the thoughts to make it fit the meter and our, our uh, parts of music with rhyme and those aspects. Corner room takes just the, the individual words, of, takes the words of scripture and just without changing them, sets them to music. They may repeat a word here or there to, to help it fit some of the meter, but they don't change anything. They don't translate it, you could say. They just sing scripture. And one thing at our church, our pastor, he uh, he does so with the King James. And I've wondered at times, are there people out there, is there a way to do that with modern translations? Is it just something that the King James can do? Well, the corner room is an example of how we can uh, do that, how we can take the, the words of scripture without changing them and set it and sing it. Um, I've, uh, they have other albums out there besides just their ones on Psalms. Uh, their Psalms, Songs, Volume 2 is the favorite album I've listened to so far. But um, <clears throat> there are several. The, the ones I've listened to have all been, been really good. Some, some better than others. Uh, it can, they have a range of styles. And the musicianship is is great. You know, you have bluegrass and, and country. Uh, then you also have contemporary. They even I think on their most recent one, their uh, Psalms of Songs, Volume Three. There was one more in a classical setting, a classical style. So they have a range, and some of it can be a little bit of an acquired taste, but uh, some of it is I would think would be, would be widely could, could could be used on a, a wide basis. Maybe not for like singing in church, but to listen to. To help, as it said, to implant God's word uh, more deeply within us. Uh, I've linked to one of their songs in the show notes, uh, Psalm one, uh, Psalm one thirty nine, verses seven through sixteen. This is off their second Psalms album, and I know I have a lot of links this week, but there are two that I would encourage you to check out. Would be the one by Mark Ward about why he chose the ESV over the NASB. And then this one here, uh, Psalm 139, verses 7 through 16, by the corner room. As I said, it may, it may not be for everyone. It's somewhat of an acquired taste. But the concept of setting God's word to music to, for the purpose of implanting it deeply upon our hearts is something I respect that they do. I think they do it well. Um, and they, they, the fact that they used the ESV was something that caught my attention. And that it lined up to be able to, the Lord lined up to be able to talk about that this week when I'm recording about the, the ESV translation. So we've, we've covered a lot, and I know some of it I I've probably went through a little quickly, but let's try to bring it all back together uh, about the ESV. So the ESV translation, what do we need to know about it? What do we take away from it? It stands in the tradition of the King James but it makes use of the best transla- uh, the best manuscripts that we have available to us today. That is taking into account all these manuscripts that have been discovered since the King James. But it doesn't ju- it doesn't just throw out the King James. So it stands in the tradition of the King James. Make use of the best manuscripts. It translates into clear, understandable English today, and comes from great scholarship. And those are the three that uh, the three main things that I point out about it. It's not overly technical. But it doesn't dumb down the text either. It's just an all-around a great translation. Um, 
it'd be the one again that I recommend if we just had to choose one uh, modern translation. So, yeah, that's the that's the ESV, and that's uh, the last of the formal equivalent translations that we're going to talk about in this series. There are others that are out there, but we're not going to take the time to do that. You can, uh, if you're interested, you could check some more out on your own. But these would be the ones that I I've heard most of, and would some that I'd recommend. We're going to move on, Lord willing, next week to talking more towards the dynamic equivalence. There's one that sort of splits the middle, you could say, uh, the Christian Standard Bible. And we'll talk about that, as I said, Lord willing, next week. Appreciate people listening to the podcast and uh, following with me on this journey. And uh, if you like what you're, you're hearing, I encourage you to go ahead and to, to rate the podcast or leave a review. But until our next episode, read the word and take your stand. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope it was an encouragement and a blessing. To find out more information about Here I Stand Ministries, check out hisministries.com. Scripture quotations are from the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, copyright 1971-1995 by the Lockman Foundation, used by permission, all rights reserved.